it's Friday, time for the Source Weekend Review podcast number 51. Yes. Jordan McDonald, welcome. Hi, Michael. And we need to give a special shout out to former Source guest Stephen Green, mm-hmm. who after our 50th um, podcast last week sent some... A gift to the office. Yeah, he did. He sent a, a lovely box of Krispy Kreme donuts, of which I couldn't eat any, but we were trying to work out if it was someone's 50th birthday. We were puzzled there for a bit. We were, but it's Greeny being very nice yeah. with the Krispy Kreme donuts, which I know, Jordan, you didn't eat them, but I did. Thank you, Greeny. Very nice. Very good of you. <laughs> I heard they're gone. They're gone. They don't exist anymore. They're 48 gone. hours. <laughs> they don't exist. Wow. They went to... That's quick. Very... Well-deserving recipients. So thank you for the messages about podcast number 50. Uh, Podcast 51, we've got a few topics to cover today. Now we're going to start with one that has got lots of coverage this week. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've done two radio interviews on it so far, so I'll keep something fresh for the Source podcasts. (laughs) I'll, I'll keep something fresh. But we talk about... I guess sports sponsorships, Netball Australia mm-hmm. is the one in the spotlight, Cricket Australia as well, uh, but in particular Netball Australia and a deal with Hancock Prospecting, Gina Reinhardt's company, a deal of $15 million that was taken back after there was some consternation among the Netball Australia national representative players mm-hmm. about some comments made and reprehensible comments made by uh, Gina Reinhardt's father about Indigenous Australians many decades ago, many decades yes. ago. But uh, yes. obviously um, uh, there, there was some well-reported uh, misgivings from the players. It got to a point where there was media coverage and mm-hmm. we know that Hancock prospecting... Uh, pulled its sponsorship deal, which has again raised lots of coverage, people with different opinions on whether this should have happened or not. Mm, what we know, though, Netball Australia needed that money. It was in a precarious position oh, yeah. financially and it needed the money. doesn't have it now, um, so it's off to find a new sponsor. But I'm fascinated by this because I don't think this is going to be all I'm, I know it won't be the first of the situations with a new generation of athletes and different views on society and sponsors. What are your thoughts, Jordan? Um, Well, I just think athletes need to think before they speak. I mean, that's just a common sense rule for everyone, but for for athletes in particular, it seems to go out the window sometimes, particularly around those topics which, you know, today we often brand as woke. I think um, Danelle's comments were inconsiderate of Netball Australia and her teammates. You know, as you mentioned, the uh, the organisation suffered, what, more than 7 million in losses over the two impacted years of COVID. And players, you know, had somehow hoped for increased wages at that time as well. But, um, you know, that deal with Hancock, you know, provided that much needed financial support and would have generously increased those wages. But, you know, not anymore. at the same time, though, I understand Dan- where Danelle is coming from. We do operate in an era now where brand activism is very important for fans and for the players. Um, and part of that is because of that legacy that players want to leave behind uh, once they retire. Um, there was a good survey that spoke a bit about this, and it was uh, on Black Lives Matter movement in particular. 
Uh, it was uh, Nielsen did the research. It was in the US, and it's, it showed that seventy two percent of the sports fans believes athletes are an important influence in that particular movement. Mm. But they also found that 59% of them actually expect those athletes to engage personally in that movement, you know. And then you've got social media followings, you know, that, that enhances this, you know, that can really embolden some of some athletes' self-importance yep. a bit. Yep. Um, you know, you would know working with athletes can be pretty challenging, but... Um, you don't, you don't want to silence them, but, you know, as, as Uncle Ben said in, the, in Spider-Man there, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> Very apt across many things from Uncle Ben. Isn't it? Um, yes, yeah, so I, I wear a few different hats in this debate. Um, my role as uh, president of North Devils Rugby League Club. Mm. See, we have uh, wonderful sponsors, have wonderful uh, playing community as well. Yep. But I'm really interested about, like I said, this is going to be the first... I would think of, well, of a bunch of these. Mm-hmm. Um, because younger athletes aren't the same as previous generations. You've mentioned that already. There's a different uh, way they've come through with social media um, being... Uh, to have the power of the consumer that my generation didn't have. Yep. The consumer can pick and choose and have power. They can put their views on social media, have those views uh, you know, confirmed mm-hmm. um, because we know social media is largely an echo chamber the way that yes. a lot of us set up. Um, uh, and we can see then, I guess, the confidence that they'll have to look at some of these sponsors and take them on. And that's been, I think, the situation here with um, Netball Australia. But to me, it's about the sports taking control of this. So mm-hmm. I think Netball Australia... From my opinion, looking from the sidelines, has been really poor in this situation. It's okay. been poor. I, I, what you're going to have with these is the need to say, look, there could be some, um, you know, potential issues with some of these sponsorship deals. Where are the sports sitting down with the athletes and talking to them and taking them into their confidence and and talking these things through? Because I think with that generation. Um, you know, you need to talk and have a chat. And I, my experience is it's a good conversation, you yeah. know. And, um, yeah, of course there's going to be differences, but <clears throat> this is an era in which younger people come through. And we know that from the requests we get from journalists on behalf of our clients. We get far more requests that are sent our way via email and text than mm-hmm. we get face-to-face or, or via phone. You just don't get to hear from any journalists these days. That's the generation. That's their style that's of communication. It. But there's still the need to talk and discuss issues and I don't know what the situation has been behind the scenes uh, with this but I know sports around the country will be looking at this and taking a lot of learnings from it. Now the thing as well is that the the really big sports are going to get other sponsors. I'm talking the big sports in terms of the TV rights. Now Netball's not one of those sports. No it's not. So it it becomes a situation where it's, um, it's sponsorship is of more uh, percentage importance than other the big the mm. bigger TV rights sports. Um, now, here's one thing I have with this as well: that these sports, I guess, like uh, Netball Australia and and some others, they know that governments aren't going to let them fail. I mean, there are so many young Australians that play netball. So many. Um, we know how much joy that sport brings. The government isn't going to let that fall about, as it won't a whole bunch of other sports. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not to me not a great. Uh, way for sports to operate knowing that there's a safety net because the safety net doesn't bring out the best in you as a sports organisation. We certainly don't have one at North Devils. Um, I know one thing that would probably hurt 
Netball Australia if it's thinking the right way. And that is the fact that with every sponsorship you sell, you have a you got to write in a cost to service that sponsorship. Say you do a deal with a sponsor for $100,000, you might have to write in, say, $15,000 as a cost to service that sponsorship. Maybe um, that's through uh, the sponsor wanting hospitality, mm-hmm. um, other things that, you know, the club would have to wear. My view on Gina Reinhardt's sponsorship is there's probably very little service costs. Yeah. Very little. Would have been pretty small, I reckon. She'd give over that cash and, um, you know, from what we know about other sports she's involved in, doesn't directly ask for a whole lot back. Mm. So I think anyone with a bit of uh, shrewdness in Nepal, Australia, would probably realise it, it's a big loss. Um, they'll do their own post-mortems, but I think for all other organisations to look at it, this is a generation that's coming through. How do you deal with them? Just like you can't do the same old techniques that old coaches used to do, shouting and the face slapping yeah. and all of that. That doesn't work now. You can't do it. Can't do it. Just like this situation with sponsors as well and how that works. Um, I'm sure other sports are watching, but um, it's been fascinating. Um, now, uh, Jordan, we looked a few weeks ago at a really interesting Roy Morgan piece of research um, that uh, was to do with brands. So you've come across something else uh, from that research that uh, is worth talking about this week. So tell us a bit more about this brand discussion. Yeah, I have. So just uh, last week before we uh, recorded our podcast, Roy Morgan, they published their inaugural Trusted Brand Award winners for 2022 across all the categories. Um, So these winners, they represent an uh, unmatched level of trust with exceedingly low or negligible level of distrust compared to their competitors. So it looks at 20 different brand, uh, sorry, categories, and it ranges from things like supermarkets, retail and technology to insurance, banks and superannuation. So, so who were some of these uh, award winners? So from, uh, I'll pull out the highlights, I'm not going to read all 20, but some of the highlights from the most trusted brands in the categories. We had Woolworths as the most trusted supermarket, Bunnings was the winner for retail. Australia Post was for services. Apple for technology. We had Cadbury for food and beverage. It keeps bobbing up, Cadbury, doesn't it? It did. I was, I was surprised when I saw it there, yep. but I suppose it makes sense. Uh, Qantas, travel and tourism. Toyota for automotive and media. ABC took the crown. Yeah, wow. But um, look, they uh, is it, whilst they do the list, they do rank the most trusted of the most trusted brands and Woolworths won that spot for uh, consistently rating as the most trusted brand for over two years since they took the crown from Bunnings. When um, when the respondents uh, rated Woolworths, they thought of Woolworths for their high quality, so their good quality products, displaying a customer-focused attitude with good service and af- affordability. Um, other key factors mentioned were the low prices in a time when people are keeping a closer eye on prices than ever before and that they are reliable, dependable, accountable and responsible community-minded business. That's really interesting. I was in Woolworths actually only probably last week mm-hmm. and I, I did see notice going down some of the aisles there. Um, the uh, little signs that come out to say this item has been $1 for the last four years. So we all know right. in terms of um, inflation, you know, we had the figures yesterday, highest inflation, 32 years. Yeah. But yeah. I just looked walking down through that Woolworths and noticing all of that signage around, um, 
I'm fascinated by what Woolworths has done to get this ranking. I don't disagree with it. I'm just interested. And this is obviously, from mm. a Woolworths viewpoint, uh, excellence in branding and marketing yeah. uh, at a time when prices are going up. I mean, every time you go to the supermarket and buy something, it's not getting cheaper. No, it's not. So uh, oh, to be able to not. be Woolworths and separate yourself from that mm. uh, and um, to come out on top of these awards, I mean, you know, they're doing something right. I'm really interested in the financial institutions here and their progress now that we're sort of having this news. I mean, this week has been a week in which, you know, we've been whacked over the head, you know, by the federal budget with the warnings about, you know, things are going to be tough. Um, we've had the inflation figure, as I mentioned, that came out yesterday. Um, so uh, what happens with the banks here? And I've mentioned this before in the podcast, you know, when I was in newspapers uh, and the banks were seen to uh, have enormous um, annual uh, profits, huge profits, you know, while jacking up interest rates, etc. But when the global financial crisis hit, the banks went from hated to I, we need you. Yeah, the yeah. reputations increased. I'm just interested to see where the the banks go in the next few months as we see rate rises mm. and inflation, etc. So uh, that's um, that's one thing I'll keep an eye on. Now, Jordan, we're talking about brand perception, which is uh, what Woolworths have done better than anyone else, I guess, yeah. in Australia. But what about Meta, our old favourite, previously Facebook? Um, what does the name change do? Yeah, well, I suppose it's done similar to the banks in that yo-yo effect. I, um, I came across an article this week which looks at some of the data from what's called the Future Brand Index. And that is an index which is a global perception study that reorders PwC's global top 100 companies um, and they orders them in terms of their perception strength rather than their financial strength. Right. So the companies are ranked then based on criteria like purpose, experience, resource management, people, authenticity and innovation. Now, Meta sits fifth on that list at the moment, which is up a massive 44 positions wow. compared to 2021 when the company <laughs> was 49th under its former name, Facebook. So, Facebook, 49. Meta, 5. Yeah. Wow, massive okay. change. So, so, what's caused that? Well, there's been plenty said about that rebrand uh, at Facebook or Meta, but clearly it's been an improvement by some measurable attributes. Um, I mean, I scratched my head wondering what's caused such a big jump, but I reckon... You know the answer is probably right in front of us. It's it's not called Facebook anymore. <laughs> um, well, I mean, a new name really can only do so much. And Meta's rebrand, you know, sort of by no means will insulate or absolve them from their past issues or their future ones. Um, but if future brands rankings any indication, the company's moved to sort of align with um, with VR instead of social media seems to be yep. working a fair bit. Yep. Um, and then according to the analysis, Meta scored particularly well this year because survey participants saw that the company was seen to be moving ahead, looking forward, as opposed to being stuck in the past. So is this a typical outcome for rebrands? Because we've seen this before um, on many occasions. I, I think of the likes of uh, Adani and mm -hmm. you know becoming Bravis on the, the jerseys of the North Queensland Cowboys, but... Is this typical outcome for rebrands? No, it's not particularly common. Um, you know, when Google dropped or changed, or they, Google's parent company changed its name to Alphabet, Google's uh, Google dropped significantly down the rankings. So 
in there. That's happened with a few other brands too. So it's yeah, it's not very common at all. One thing that is common is sports betting ads. Isn't it? There's a segue. <laughs> I'm about to rant in a little bit, so <laughs> I'll let you do your bit first. Do you like that segue? It was yeah. <laughs> I was wondering how we were going to do it, to be honest, so it's done well. Obviously, I'm <laughs> involved. no so there was says how to transfer here. <laughs> no planning when I'm involved. Look, this week there was an interesting story that came out and that uh, the Seven Network and the Nine Network were yep. fined by ACMA. Um, the uh, the regulator, mm-hmm. um, watchdog, that each uh, broke rules around gambling advertising, yep. showing betting promotions during sporting events, as uh, ACMA found. Mm-hmm. Um, now, through July and August last year, the investigation found that Seven aired 49 betting promotions in its Olympic coverage on Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth and Adelaide broadcasts mm-hmm. um, and was found to have made gambling advertisements available on live stream of the Olympics. Channel 9 was wrapped over the knuckles uh, for showing a gambling advertisement at 8.21pm oh. during the half-time break of the NRL Grand Final last year. Oh. So, goodness, they're breaking the rules because... Among these rules, broadcasters cannot show gambling advertising during the coverage of live sporting events shown between 5 a.m. and 8.30 p.m. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you've got that, you cannot show uh, gambling advertisements. After 8.30 p.m., you can only show gambling ads when there is a break in the game, mm. such as half-time <laughs> yeah. or full-time. There's a whistle-to-whistle <laughs> legislation that prevents you from showing those. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, for long-form events such as the Olympics, broadcasters must not show gambling advertising from five minutes before the start of the first event of the day until 8.30pm, and then (laughs) not more than once every two hours after that time. Oh, my goodness. Same ones for live stream. Now, right now there is a federal uh, parliamentary committee uh, inquiry into online gambling which Mm. is going to look at reviewing the effectiveness of current advertising restrictions on limiting children's exposure to gambling products and more. So Mm -hmm. that's in the submission phase at the moment. Okay. Look, I'm not going to stay here and blame the bookies for this because to me this sort of thing, I'm surprised there's actually not more that are found to have uh, breached the rules because the rules are a mess. We have state and federal rules. So these rules breach the federal rules yep okay so they're in place across the country then each state has its own rules about gambling promotions as well and those rules do differ from state to state and we've had gambling companies that have been fined because they uh, put an ad up it wasn't properly geofenced by the uh, uh, by the online provider and it found its way in new south wales uh-huh. okay so the rules are uh, are a mess and why the regulators, in my view, have to have to be the ones who take control of it is because this is such a fertile ground for advertising in Australia, yes, sports it is. betting. Um, it is a big industry and the industry is perfectly set up for a just raft of, uh, of advertising spending. Now, from what I can work out, about 90% of the sports betting uh, market in Australia is shared between Sportsbet, TAB and Ladbrokes, 90% through those three providers, which means you then got 10% of the market, mm. 
with a whole bunch of people trying to get up to bigger yeah, scale. Yeah. And, and sports betting in Australia, given all of the government taxes and charges and those levied by the sports operations, sports betting in Australia is a game of scale. You need to have scale. Oh, Therefore, yeah. how do you get scale? You've got to advertise. You've got to advertise yeah. So you've got this perfect storm of advertising that needs to happen. And uh, what you have there is, you know, look, people who know more about it than me say at least $400 million every year in Australia is spent on sports uh, advertising, sports Jeez. gambling advertising. Okay? That's a lot of cash. That's a lot of money. And so where are we reading or seeing all of the coverage about this? Through the media. Through the media. And this is a media that is conflicted in its coverage for many ways. One, because who do you think are the major recipients of the spend of advertising your television networks your radio networks your newspapers mm -hmm. um, there is a new uh, sports betting company that has landed with a uh, massive uh, sound in recent weeks betr b-e-t-r most people would have seen the ads around somewhere uh, they're one third owned by news corp yeah. okay so when it comes <laughs> no. to these um what we see through media um, they're conflicted as well. I'm not going to criticise media either because it is what it is. So when you have these situations, it's where you need your regulators to set the rules and enforce the rules. And we have all of these differences between the federal and state laws. It's confusing. Um, and we know that regulators in uh, anything to do with technology are years behind. They can't keep up because they don't have the capacity to do it or the willingness to do it. There's my rant, but my thing I'll say to you, Jordan, is we talk about all this and the effect of young kids. And what we said here is that seven and nine have been fined for uh, breaches on, I guess, their free-to-air or streaming services. But are young kids even watching those services? Are they seeing these ads or are they somewhere else where ads can exist? Yeah, look, they're, they're not watching the broadcast. They're, they're the younger generation, they use those streaming platforms and that's predominantly Netflix and their, ad support, their new ad-supported tier has actually banned gambling ads. So, you know, I'm, I'm not too dissimilar to you in the sense that we both watch a bit of broadcast. You probably watch a bit more than I do. Um, and I watch a little bit of reality TV, but that's on the, the network streaming apps there. But the repetition of, of the ads is one thing, but you're almost guaranteed... And to, I mean, repetition isn't it? It's the exact same ad recycled, but you're going to get two versions of that at least every ad break at least on the streaming app. Um, look, I don't gamble, so my stance on these ads is probably a little bit biased in that sense, but gambling, I think, has become so ingrained in Australian culture, and I probably haven't realised it until recently. I was actually reading a Reddit thread the other day. It was titled, What are the worst parts about Australian culture as an outsider? From an outsider's perspective, and, um, yeah, gambling was the most frequently listed really? answer. Yeah. Was the most frequently listed answer. So um, this surprised me too. <laughs> I know, we have a pro better. <laughs> we, uh, but um, look, sports sports better in particular for me, in my dealings, has been the biggest advertiser. Uh, you know, at the moment, they're pushing that group betting thing and it just feels yeah. a little over the line for me. Like I get it, but deep down, we know the house never loses. So uh, it seems that that fraction bit unethical and to me, honest, I wish I saw less of them. <laughs> uh, and uh, we're at a time where the, you know, I guess the time of the year when the ads are most prevalent coming off the football finals yes. into uh, the big racing uh, time in the southern states. I should have added too before with all of those rules 
that you might say, hang on, I've seen a whole bunch of sports betting ads in the television news between six and seven. Mm-hmm. Well, you are allowed to show them then because that's deemed under the regulations to be adult adults, programming. Yes, adults. Adult. So yeah, you do. So this, you won't see an ad at seven o five pm, but you'll see one at six fifty five pm, yep. um, especially if there's Friday night football coming up. So that's what I mean. The rules are a mess. They're the conflict between state and federal. It's and you cannot blame the sports bookmakers are trying to do what they can because they need the scale. Yep. So unless the regulators are going to do it properly, we're going to keep talking about it and seeing it, but end of my rant. Now, today, <laughs> Jordan marks the Twitter deadline for Elon Musk to complete the purchase of Twitter, as we discussed many times on this podcast. But news this week from Reuters paints a fairly grim picture of the current state of Twitter. What did Reuters find? Yeah, so this particular report focuses on uh, an internal document titled Where Did the Tweeters Go? <laughs> I know. It says that... Um, I know. It says, <laughs> it says that Twitter's most active users are in, and I quote, absolute decline. Sounds quite dire. So why is this concern so concerning? So why this is so concerning is that um, while these users, the most active ones, only make up about ten percent of the total Twitter or, uh, Twitter user base, they contribute ninety percent of total tweets on the platform. So it's fair to say without them, you're in a bit of trouble. So wow, okay, that's that's a fascinating stat. Um, yeah, isn't it? I thought that was massive. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's interesting. So, did the internal document reveal uh, why they're leaving? Yeah, it, it said they're they're leaving because the topics that have traditionally made Twitter a popular platform for its millions of users are, are now in decline. So, there are few fewer users now interested in the news, sport, and entertainment, which is what you know, attracts the users in the first place and what advertisers used to love. Um, and now it's more, those users are more interested in cryptocurrency or the not safe for work sort of content, you know, which is your more 18 plus explicit. Not safe for work. Pieces, no. Is that the NSFW? That is the NSFW. So I learn things all the time. So if I yeah. want to be hip now with the younger folk, I'll just put NFSW in some type of... Uh, well, yeah, you will. Okay, good. Now, okay, this is why we do the podcast, this to is, keep up with things. Yeah, so um, look, Twitter is one of those few social platforms that actually allows that NSFW content <laughs> on its services. And the company estimates that that sort of content now actually accounts for about 13% of all content wow. on it. So it's, it's certainly increased. Um, and we know how advertisers are. They generally steer clear of that sort of thing, you know, for fear of damaging their brand. But um, we saw major advertisers, Dyson, PBS Kids and, and Forbes, they stopped their advertising due to accounts that were found to be doing some dodgy, mm. dodgy, not mm. safe for anyone sort yeah. of material yeah. on Twitter. Um, there's this also increased competition. You know, we, we talk about TikTok, Instagram all the time. Yeah. You know, they suspect that that's where a lot of the users have migrated. So what do we make of this then? Because as we said, all this publicity about what happens with uh, Elon Musk, what do we make of um, this type of insight? Well, firstly, good luck to Elon. It sounds like he's going to need it. He's going to need something brilliant to re- resurrect this platform, I reckon. Um, I think he might see a, a brief spike once the per- the, the purchase is finalised, but um, I'm not sure it'll last. I don't think it'll last without any serious changes. Um, as for the exodus of users, 
Uh, can't really blame them, to be honest. Yeah. You're just thinking about TikTok alone, that app, you know, has captured the attention of, of most people across all social media yep. platforms. Like, you know, Facebook's even changed their overall experience to sort of mimic um, TikTok. So Twitter hasn't changed. It mm. hasn't changed in ages. It's not exciting. There's no real appeal to being there. So mm. there's just no reason to be on there unless you just, want news. It's just a nasty place too. I mean, it's it is. Nasty, is it? It's a nasty, predictable place. Yeah, I mean, if you can curate your feed to make it a pure news feed, mm-hmm. I think that's um, it has it can have a real strength there. But yeah, it's it's a nasty joint. But um, I'm not surprised about that. Now, the weekend coming up. Well, I know it. I've been um, brainwashed by the sports betting ads, and I'm going to oh. go to uh, Melbourne. Oh, yeah? For the Derby and the Cup. <laughs> so I've been hoodwinked and brainwashed. But no, back Excellent. to Melbourne for the first time in three years I because know, of COVID. Missed your trip. I'm very much looking forward to uh, heading down there. Although I've had a look at the weather forecast and for the entire time I'm in Melbourne, the temperature isn't going to reach uh, 20. Oh, good. Yeah. So now it looks like it'll be hotter where you are this weekend. I'll be at home this weekend. Uh, I got a housewarming on the Saturday. Oh wow! Yeah, we've we've done it like three and a half months since <laughs> later wow. than moving in. Fantastic! Oh, and that's just normal work weekend with some music stuff. But yeah, I oh, will enjoy that. I will. You enjoy your trip. I certainly will. See you next week. See you.